Obviously, I had hoped I would be doing so in person rather than via video, but I'm grateful that we live in an era of technology and we can still worship together. So thank you for joining us this morning on Facebook Live. Uh, since I was out on vacation this last week, I wanted to first of all celebrate the fact that both of my daughters have successfully begun their fall semesters at college and are doing very well at their respective universities off at Taylor and Cedarville. And I also want to encourage you, if you are married, to build into your marriage some dates and some getaway time for just the two of you. Uh, Karen and I took a couple of days, I uh, took the long way home from Cedarville, uh, just to uh, enjoy some time away for, with one another. It was really good for our souls, good for our marriage, and especially in a stressful year like this one, your marriage probably needs some nourishment uh, of that same kind, just like ours did. So I encourage you in that. Now, I also want to address with you where we are as a church as it relates to the pandemic. Uh, as you're probably aware, uh, case numbers are rising here in Chillicothe uh, and in Peoria County. In the last few days, we've had two members of our church test positive for COVID-19, and both were present at both worship services this last week. Now, given the fact that the virus has an incubation period lasting several days between exposure and the development of symptoms, if any, uh, the elders concluded it was wisest for us to suspend in-person worship services for this week. Uh, that closure may last longer, depending on testing results. You should also know that the CDC counts exposures as uh, contact at a distance of less than six feet for a period lasting longer than 15 minutes. Uh, if you've not been contacted by any of the leaders or staff here at the church to inform you of possible exposure, it's unlikely that you were exposed. Uh, you should also know that I have maintained close communication uh, with both of these dear people and that uh, Current CDC guidelines dictate a 10-day quarantine uh, after symptoms develop and require that at least 24 hours elapse uh, since your last fever with no fever-reducing medication. In the cases we're aware of here, symptoms have completely resolved for one of the people and the other has almost completely recovered. But they would both appreciate your prayers and your respect for their privacy at this time, please, we're asking, please do not speculate as to the identity of these folks. And if you know who they are, remember this, that as Christians, we are called to obey the Lord and not to gossip about anything with one another. And that includes this situation. At the same time, if you happen to develop symptoms or test positive, we're asking that you inform the elders immediately so that we can respond appropriately to your situation and, and to pray with you and for you. Uh, in addition, uh, as elders, we're asking you to both trust us as we lead you through these things and to pray for us as we do. Uh, as one of your pastors and one of the elders here, I'd like to also ask you to talk with me directly if you have questions or concerns. 
While it's true that we cannot guarantee anyone 100% safety from a virus that is transmitted through the air, we are doing our best to keep everyone as safe as possible. So as part of that, you should know that changes are coming to our ministries this fall, and some will look very different from what they have in the past, and others will be suspended until the first of the year. And we will provide you with written communication on all of those things uh, later this week. Now at this time, I'd like to encourage you to join me in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, this is a challenging time that we live in. These are confusing and stressful and difficult days with lots of uncertainty. Uh, lots of us, Father, would love to be able to control our circumstances and to figure out some way that if we just do these things, that uh, all of this would pass us by. And Father, we know that that is not really possible. That all things that happen are happening as part of your sovereign plan. And you really are the only one who has any control over things in this, in this world. And so, Father, we trust you. We look to you. We rely on you. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to be prudent and wise as we make decisions together as a church body, as we look out for one another and pray for one another. Father, help us to draw together in unity and to love each other well and to be kind to one another uh, in a confusing and hard time. Father, we ask for your protection on our church. We thank you that both of these people who have uh, developed symptoms have thankfully had mild symptoms and have mostly recovered, and in the one case, entirely recovered. Uh, Father, we're grateful for your protection. We're grateful for your watch care over us. We ask, Father, that you would continue to provide that to us. And we ask, Father, too, uh, for our time together in your word and in worship this morning, that you would be honored by what we do, that you would allow the word to dig deep into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would excavate out of our, of our hearts and lives those things which are sinful, those attitudes and actions and thoughts, which are contrary to your will and your word, that you would uh, plant in us, Father, replacing all those things with virtue and with the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to walk in a way before you that is holy. And Father, we pray that as we look at a passage that is tough to read, that we would take it in and and see what it has to say to us. Not just about the future, but about our life today. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, we are continuing our study through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, looking at chapter 8. And as you make your way there, I don't, we need to do a couple of things. Uh, together. First, I want to give you a little context for where we are in the book and also 
uh, help you understand an important biblical idea. Let me give you the context first. Uh, chapter 6 gives us a description of the first six seal judgments uh, that are opened in what I believe is that takes place over the, the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. Uh, in chapter 8, we'll see the last of the seven seal judgments open, and with its opening, the emergence of the seven trumpet judgments. And I think the seventh seal is open right about the midpoint, and with the judgments that follow unfolding over the last uh, three and a half years of the tribulation. And in addition to that, I think that these judgments that we're about to see are God's justice on his people's behalf. Uh, last week, Pastor Josh showed us Revelation chapter 7 and the multitude from all nations that will come to believe in Christ and worship God because of the testimony of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists whom God will raise up as part of his redemption of all Israel that is promised in Romans 9 through 11. And if you were paying attention last week or you want to sneak a look at chapter 7 uh, right now, you can see that all of this vast multitude of people are dressed in white robes. And that's an important detail. Because white robes, in according to Revelation chapter 3, are the reward for faithfully serving Christ all the way to the death, just like the people at the church at Sardis did. Uh, it's also why the, the, the people who are under the altar in Revelation chapter 6 that are martyrs, uh, these are people wearing white robes. They have been faithful to Christ all the way to the death. Now, bearing that in mind, I think we're meant to see in chapter 7 that this multitude contains an enormous multitude of people who have sealed their faithfulness to Christ with their blood. And as that happened, I think that what is going on here is that they prayed to God in the midst of their suffering. And I believe that Revelation 8 shows us their prayers going up before God and being answered with judgment against those who have persecuted them. Now, related to that, let me just trace an important biblical idea with you, which is the cry of the righteous for justice and their prayer to God to intervene on their behalf. Many times in a fallen world and as part of God's sovereign plan, he has chosen not to intervene and not to bring justice yet. And that's an important word. Not yet. Is that because God loves sin and injustice uh, and he just enjoys it being done? No. He allows it only to the degree and only for the time appointed by His will. And He uses it for our ultimate good and His ultimate glory. But it is painful to live as part of God's people in a fallen world and often afflicted as part of God's people by people who are not part of God's people. And so you often read, 
uh, throughout the scripture these cries. For example, you read in Psalm 13, uh, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or you read Psalm 69, which begins, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary for crying out for help. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim looking for my God. And there are more. In fact, 75% of the Psalms, if you read them through, are laments. They're cries to God for justice. In the same way, Habakkuk cries out in chapter 1 of his prophecy, How long, O Lord, shall I cry to you for help? How long will you not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. How long will you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? That destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Earlier in this book, in chapter 6, we saw the martyrs that are under the altar of God who all cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? Do you hear the pain and the suffering and the cries of these people? You hear them? Maybe you yourself have cried out to God like that. Maybe you suffered abuse at some wicked person's hands and you cried out to God, God, why do you not intervene? And today, what we'll see in Revelation 8 is that God hears His people's cries for justice. And that he judges the wicked in response. So, if you have your Bible, I'd like you to look with me at Revelation chapter 8, beginning verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, if you look closely at the text, I want you to notice a couple of things. First, it's the Lamb who opens the seventh seal. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only one who was found worthy to open the seals on this scroll because He is the one who took in His own body, on His own flesh, God's wrath 
against sin for all who believe in him. And having done that, he is worthy to open the scrolls of God's wrath to those who have rejected him. And second, notice the silence in heaven for half an hour. Did you see that? Up to this point, heaven has been a noisy place. As you read through the book of Revelation, there is a lot of noise up to now. There's cherubim that are shouting. There's believers and angels praising God with loud voices. And there's thunder and lightning and every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea and under the earth are shouting out their worship and their praise to God. So why is heaven now totally silent for half an hour? Because the opening of the seventh seal has revealed terrible, swift judgments. The seven angels that stand before God are each given a trumpet. And they will blow it. And another angel then comes at this time before the trumpets begin to blow with a fire pan, a censer, full of coals to burn incense on the heavenly altar that stands before God's throne. Now remember that God in the book of Exodus told Moses to make the, the furnishings of the tabernacle according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain, is what God says to Moses. And according to John's revelation here, there is a heavenly temple and the furniture of Old Testament worship is made in imitation of these things that John sees. We've already seen uh, the altar and we've already seen the sea of crystal and we've already seen the throne in the place where God's presence dwells, seated above the cherubim. And now what we see is the altar of incense. And what you need to know is that in the Old Testament, the priest would come morning and evening, and he would take coals from the altar of sacrifice, and he would use them to burn incense on the, alt on the altar of incense that stood at the very back of the holy place, nearest the curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, where God's presence was enthroned above the ark. And as he did so, he would pray for all of the people. And the smoke of the incense burning symbolized their prayers uh, going up before God and being received as an acceptable offering of worship because they came through the blood of the sacrificed lamb. The sacrificed lamb had been uh, consumed on that altar, and the coals from the altar now light the prayers of the saints going up to God. And so prayer comes with sacrifice for sin having been made. And in response, that's God then answers their prayers. And what we see is, a, is an enactment in heaven of that kind of scene, of an angel taking coals from the heavenly altar and bringing it to the altar of incense and offering with it the prayers of the saints. And then taking 
fire from the altar of incense and throwing it down onto the earth. Now, why is that? It's because what is being symbolized here is the judgment that God is sending to the earth is in direct response to those prayers going up to God. At long last, God is answering the prayer, How long, O Lord? That has long been the cry of His people. And He answers with a storm of judgment and an earthquake as the seven angels that stand before the throne begin one by one to blow their seven trumpets full of God's justice. Now look at your Bible again. There's a lot in here. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked. And I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. The blowing of these four trumpets, uh, what takes place is sort of a mirror image of uh, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. If Genesis 1 and 2 is about the creation of the earth and about the making of the earth suitable for human habitation, then these judgments are about the overturning of creation and about making the earth unsuitable for humans to live there. First, there's a plague of hail and fire. And I'm not sure exactly what that might mean, but picture massive storms filled with hail and lightning leading to massive fires around the globe and also to a substantial number of deaths. That's why it's mixed with blood. Next, the sea is afflicted. Some suggest the burning mountain that John sees here is a massive meteor that falls and kills a third of the living creatures of the oceans, turning the sea dark with blood where it hit and the sea life dies. It's also possible that John is seeing a massive volcanic eruption that spews forth fumes and ash that kill sea life on a massive scale. Most of the world's sea life 
actually resides very close to the coastlines of the continents and near major reefs. And so it's not hard to imagine that an eruption in one of these places might cause this kind of mass die-off of sea life. Uh, if it is uh, either one of these things, either a meteor strike of some kind or a massive volcanic eruption, uh, either one of those would trigger tsunamis that could sink ocean vessels from a great distance. And certainly, easily a third of them, depending on where it hit. The third trumpet contains a judgment on freshwater supplies. It's unclear what the great star uh, named Wormwood is, but suggestions include both an asteroid as well as a fallen angel. Regardless, the effects of Wormwood's fall to the earth are unmistakable, and one-third of the freshwater of the world becomes toxic, and as a result, many people die. And then the fourth angel blows his trumpet, and the sea and light from the stars and the moon are afflicted, such that their light is diminished by it. Perhaps what is in view, I don't know for certain, we're not told specific, but perhaps what is in view is the diminishment of light that would take place because of all of the pollution that fires or volcanic eruptions or meteor strikes would cause on this kind of a scale. If you have, if you have volcanic eruptions on a scale that kills a third of sea life, you would have pollution in the atmosphere that would make the sun not as bright, the moon not as bright at night, and would diminish how many stars you could see. The last thing that John sees in this chapter is an eagle flying overhead. And the eagle is crying out with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Uh, the phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is a technical term in the book of Revelation. It refers to people who have rejected Christ's salvation and receive his judgment as a result. And the threefold woes also refer to three specific judgments that haven't fallen yet, but that are about to, and that you'll see specifically identified in chapter 9 and chapter 11. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, Paul speaks about the creation being subjected to frustration and being put in bondage to decay, and that this is happening, in a sense, against its will. And what he means is that creation it was made perfect, but that human beings and their sin are a burden to it. That, in other words, the sun does not willingly shine to give its light by which wicked people sustain their lives and grow their crops and enjoy its warmth. That the earth does not willingly yield forth its produce that people might sustain their lives of sin. That, that the creation rebels in some sense against the fact that we as sinful people are here on it. 
And what God does is in His grace restrain in some sense the rebellion of creation against sinful humanity's presence in it. And what you're seeing here in Revelation is God beginning to remove that burden that He has placed on the creation. And He is allowing creation to rebel in part against our presence as human beings here because sin has placed a burden on creation that it longs to be free of. What we also see in this text is that the prayers of the saints of God's believing people are going to be answered. That they are going to be answered. That the cries of people who have so often suffered along with the creation and under the burden of the persecutions brought by the wicked will finally have their prayers answered. And God's justice will fall with terrible, terrible swiftness. And with a power that no wicked person can escape from. And that brings to mind three important points of application for us. First, we need to remember that God is just. That God is just and He will judge both sin and sinners. So many times, I don't know about you, but so many times we look around the world and we see the suffering of God's people and all of the ways that the wicked seem to prosper in both wealth and power and we cry out, How long, O Lord? Or we ourselves or our brothers and sisters that we know about and love and care for in places around the world are placed at the, at the mercy of an unjust and wicked government and are in many cases imprisoned and tortured and abused and even killed. And we, we ask ourselves, God, why don't you intervene? Why don't you bring justice? Lord, how long do we have to wait for you to resolve this situation? And the answer that Revelation 8 gives to us is in, by way of encouragement is not much longer. Now, I don't know when Revelation and its events will all unfold. I know that some have speculated, this is it. We're living in the end times right now. I don't think so necessarily. I actually think that if we were, things would be much worse than they are. As pandemics go, this one doesn't rate with the one from 100 years ago. Never mind with the Black Plague of the 13 and 1400s. And so as bad as things are, they can get much, much worse than they are. But the answer that comes back to us from the scripture of how long, Lord, do we have to wait for you to bring justice is still not much longer. Because God is just and he does judge both sin and sinners. And he will justly pour out his judgment against every wicked person 
and this wicked world. Second, since we know these things are coming, there's also this exhortation for, ev for everyone who reads the words of, these, of this book and hears it and understands it. That if you are currently living in sin, that now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn away from wickedness uh, in every form and turn to Christ and be forgiven. We have enormous encouragement throughout the scripture that if anyone will believe in Christ, they can be and are forgiven of all of their sins. That the blood of the sacrificed lamb is sufficient to cover over all sin for all people for all time, but that it is only effective in doing so for those who believe in Christ. We need to remember what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If we say we have fellowship with Him and we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. In other words, John says, it's all very well to claim to be a Christian. But if you live in the darkness, you're a liar. If you live in sin, you need to repent. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover over every person, but there is not unlimited time to repent from sin and be forgiven before God's justice falls. It may not come at the end of all things. It may come, though, much sooner than you realize. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you are living in a way that it cuts you off apart from Christ, now is the time to turn to Him and receive His forgiveness and receive eternal life instead of an eternity of judgment. You can receive grace and forgiveness, but knowing that these judgments are coming, now is the time. Now is the time. So don't wait any longer. And finally, uh, for those of us who know Christ, God has given us a responsibility in the meantime to live in holiness as part of His holy people, the church, and to proclaim the gospel that neither we nor any of the people that we love and care about and are hoping that God would save would come under His judgment. We have a responsibility, men and women, and we need to take it seriously. Because the reality is we don't know how long this pandemic will last. We don't know what the ultimate death toll will be. But it will probably include at some point, if things continue as they have, people that are near to us, maybe people who don't know Jesus yet. And we have a responsibility. 
as members of Chillicothe Bible Church, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, to continue to live our lives in a holy way, to continue to reach out to those who are lost and to share the gospel with them because the gospel is our only hope in life and in death. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ which alone saves, which alone gives eternal hope, which alone turns you from person under God's judgment because of your sin to a person who is a recipient of His grace and a member of His family. And we need to be about the Lord's business at this time especially, as but as at all times, carry out our responsibility because we know what's coming. And knowing what's coming, we ought to prepare and help other people prepare that they might escape from God's judgment and instead be recipients of His grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You that it is strong. That it is telling us that You will judge completely. And for all time, the wickedness of the world and its people. That though those who are guilty of abusing other people, those who are guilty of crimes and who may escape from our justice system, will not escape from yours. And that you will one day answer with swift judgment, the prayers of your people down through the generations. How long, O oh Lord? You will answer. And the answer will be right now. Father, I pray that you would help us to be your faithful people in a challenging time. That you would help us to faithfully live in a way that is distinct from the world that we might shine like lights in it. That in the things that we talk about, the things that we prioritize on our, in our speech, in our Facebook page, in our Instagram posts, in our interactions with others that we work with, in the way that we live our life might be reflective of the fact that Christ is life. Christ is our life that we belong to Him. And then, Father, that we would also discharge our responsibility out of love for the lost to ensure that none of them fall under, their, under Your judgment. If it is possible, Father, we pray that You might save all of those that are close to us. And that you might use our lips and our lives to make the gospel clear to those we love. That they might enjoy the blessings of, a, of membership in your family and life with you. And Father, I pray for our church that you would continue to protect us and watch over us. Help us to be faithful, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.